Welcome to Techno, where Sophos experts debate, explore, explain, and hopefully help you to understand the often baffling world of computer security. Techno is presented by me, Paul Ducklin. And me, Chester Wisniewski. And today's topic is patching. Before we get going with patching, even though we probably all think we know what it means, not least because of Microsoft's Patch Tuesday, Perhaps you'd like to just explain the what before we get on to the why and the how. So, when you hear the word patching, what does it mean to you? Well, I think of things like, I think of an old patchwork quilt. I mean, I think of a repair. You know, if I had a, when I was a, when I was a boy, if I had a tear in my, in my blue jeans, my mother would apply a patch over it and sew it on there to, to sew up the hole and, and fit, in essence, fix or repair them to close to their original condition. And so I guess when it comes to software, we're, we often think of it as fixing a flaw, putting a patch over a hole. To people in the Unix and the open source community, there's actually an older, more venerable meaning of patch, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the, the command line patch uh, command is often used for uh, distributing source code changes to, uh, to applications without having to distribute the entire application. When we talk about patching in, in a corporate environment, usually the motivation isn't so much to get the latest whiz-bang feature, which, uh, you know, people might think of uh, when they want a patch for the, an app on their smartphone or something, often it's a feature patch. But I think more specifically, uh, we're talking about the, the security style, the repair style, you know, back to the old quilt, right? So for the purposes of this podcast, let's agree that when we talk about patches, we mean those things that have some security implications. So let's go on to the second part of the puzzle. Why do we need patches? It's more important than ever today uh, to, 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 to do these security patches, these fixes. And if we look back, you know, in the past over, say, 10, 12 years, we used to be a lot slower at it, but it didn't quite matter as much because the, the criminal world wasn't so much into, it wasn't monetized, so it wasn't being developed at a furious pace like it is today. It's our experience today, uh, especially when, you know, big patch days come out like Microsoft and Oracle and, and Adobe that many of the things being fixed have already been figured out by somebody. They're already compromising people before the patch is even made available. So not only do they fix a problem, they fix a problem with ever-increasing urgency. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the urgency today is more important than ever. And I guess when it's not open source software is where I think a lot of people get a little bit more concerned sometimes because when it's proprietary software, you really can't tell easily what's been changed in an application. You have to take Microsoft's word, no pun intended, that they've <laughs> tested it properly and that uh, you know quality assurance has been met. Chester, on that score, how do you make that judgment even for open source software. For example, this very morning, I clicked on check whether there's an update for Firefox, and it jumped me from 13.0.1 to 14.0.1. 14.0 itself seems to have vanished in the ether. I can't find any mention of it. The update was 11 megabytes, and when I clicked through to find out what had been changed, there were 14 security advisories, four of them apparently to do with remote code execution, but when I clicked through to the bug fixes and other stuff, there was a list of 1,749 things that had been changed. So how do I decide whether the security fixes are outweighed by all the new features that might go wrong? 
Well, it's a very difficult uh, problem, and I, you know, there's no cut and dry answer. I mean, fortunately, in the business environments that a lot of us operate in, we're able to choose vendors that will, in fact, do what you might term long-term support of a given version of something, so that you're not having to take in all those feature changes. So, so there's kind of a divergence between more corporate applications where you're picking a feature set and then getting fixes or patches that maintain that feature set and provide safety, versus choosing you know the other way around uh, where you're constantly up to date and getting new features and willing to take on the risk of not knowing what kind of disruption a given version might might introduce to your environment but chester you wrote uh, an article about the browser wars and how it's all about fighting for security now you wrote about that on naked security recently and that article was very popular and attracted a lot of comments many of those were from people in a corporate or an organizational setting bemoaning the fact that different browsers were best for different sites that they needed to do their business. Firefox worked better with this software, Chrome with that, and IE with the last. And with Chrome and Firefox both in this railway line, you take everything or you take nothing upgrade path, how is a company to decide? Should they abandon software that's developed that way? Or does it actually show a willingness on the part of the vendor to address all sorts of problems in an aggressive and timely fashion. Well, Paul, I think there's quite quite a few factors at play when you're looking at this. I mean, it's obviously easier as an IT person to have less things that you need to worry about fixing and less variability to, that impacts your testing when you're looking at fixes. But on the other hand, things that are kind of you know stuck in the mud. I mean, when we look at Microsoft begging their customers to please stop using Internet Explorer six because it was a locked-in standard for so long for so many organizations that you end up having other problems around security from that. So possibly the nimbleness of being able to be delivering a new version like Firefox and Chrome do seemingly every month is both annoying but a benefit. It gets you in the habit of regularly applying changes and being prepared for things to move forward and change, which is very important for security. And at the same time, uh, gives them a lot of opportunities to introduce more fixes more quickly so that you're not left waiting. And, that, and that's one of the challenges we've seen with one of the more exploitable applications out there like Java is Oracle's waiting every you know 90 days basically to, to send out fixes for Java. And yet every time they fix it, sometimes it's hundreds of fixes going in for security and people have been left at risk from those bugs for a very long period of time. Do I hear you saying fortune favors the brave? I think so. I mean, uh, obviously, the, you know, everybody has their own opinions about uh, how how slow and steady they want to, you know, march forward for safety reasons. But uh, personally, I do subscribe to the, you know what, give me the latest that has all the fixes in there. And if there's some minor changes in behavior or a feature works slightly different than in the last one, I can deal with that. But I'd rather be safe than sorry. I think I agree with you, Chester. I was a little skeptical at first. My favorite browser is Firefox. And when I heard it was going to be on this railway line where you can only go to the next station from this one and there's no branch line, I was a little bit concerned, but I formed the opinion that a product that is in the habit of producing regular releases that are well tested is likely to be faster at producing a security fix in an emergency because it's not an exception. It's the rule that they're able to build, test and deliver stuff on a regular basis and not just regular but frequent. And I think both of those are important, aren't they? When we see a zero day like we did at Pwn to Own in 2012, Within a day, Google had that fixed. Um, that was incredible to be able to, you know, learn about a brand new vulnerability that was really complex 
And to be able to turn that around with a fix within 24 hours is very impressive. And it means the community was at risk for a far less amount of time than uh, traditionally would have been true five years ago, right? So in a sense, the why of patching, and more importantly, the why you need to do it faster than ever, is that invariably these days, because of the money involved for the crooks, the disease is worse than the cure. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, and there's plenty of examples uh, of, of that being true. You know, CVE 2012-1889 was a... Catchy name, isn't it, Chester? <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, this particular vulnerability uh, was in use in the wild in the Black Hole Exploit Kit, which is a widely used criminal toolkit for putting malware onto people's computers. And that was available commercially to criminals before the patch was commercially available to customers. Chester, just, uh, just repeat for everybody's benefit that commercial summary you just gave. Yeah, so I mean, this vulnerability was available commercially to criminals in an exploit pack before it was available commercially to consumers to even fix it. So that's why urgency is uh, a, a key part of patching. Okay, you've convinced me. Now you have to convince the managers and operators and administrators of enormous networks with huge numbers of users. And one war story that I've heard is of a chap, this is in North America, whose job is patching, and in the organization he patches for, he has admitted that security doesn't really come into it. What comes into it is the personality and the willingness to accept change of the bosses in the various departments. It's not really a good approach, is it? It's not a very good how to apply patches. No, it's not. And I mean, unfortunately, we do have a tendency to see the most hesitance to change is in the areas where security is the most important. If you can't have a reboot of five minutes uh, interruption in your day for equipment to reboot, what do you do if the power goes out? Or what happens when the guy in the server room trips over the LAN cable and knocks that server offline? I mean, if you're really that fragile, perhaps you need to be looking at your entire disaster recovery plan and going, are we even prepared to maintain this essential service? It does seem ironic that in many organizations, having a planned outage actually takes an enormous amount of time, and yet having an unplanned one could happen at any moment. So why not plan for the latter, and then the former becomes a triviality, surely? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really good advice, Paul. And you know, I think of this often as the three Ps, I call it, but you know, you need to be prepared to patch at any time you know you really got to look into your environment and see that you've got policies and procedures in place that you can roll something out as well as unroll it right if something did go wrong there should be a plan of what do we do to recover to get back to where we were if something were to go wrong second you need to prioritize appropriately meaning look at where things are vulnerable and why they're vulnerable perhaps you have a Microsoft Exchange server uh, facing the internet providing services like Outlook Web Access. In that case, I might not be worried about the latest fix for Internet Explorer because I don't allow anyone to surf from that server. In fact, if I'm doing my job well, perhaps I've blocked it in the firewall so that server can't even go out to anywhere. So I'm not worried about IE fixes. I'm not going to reboot that. I'm going to prioritize that into a normal uh, maintenance window where I'm going to apply all the changes just to make sure it's you know synchronized with the rest of my environment. Whereas my desktop computers, I know my users are using Internet Explorer to access the internet. I know that this thing is said to be highly exploitable by Sophos Labs, so you know I'm going to have to prioritize that above these SQL fixes. You talked about three P's, Chester. You're saying you prepare so you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. 
you prioritize so you don't need to do every computer at the same time for absolutely everything. You do what is most necessary. What's the last P? Well, I, I go with proceed. I mean, get on with it. Look at your processes and see how you can try to shorten these windows of time. And I see a lot of organizations that even for critical fixes are, oh, you know, we can't do anything in less than 90 days in seven committee meetings. And you need to start balancing the risk and proceeding with these patches more quickly. Uh, the risk of compromise from these things is often extremely high compared to the risk of a problem is extremely low. And you should be able to make some judgment calls on past performance. Uh, I don't, I often ask people, do you really think that your patch testing procedures in your 30 day window for change control, do you think that's better than Microsoft's entire quality assurance team, which works on testing these things in as many possible scenarios as possible? And, and I really, uh, I doubt that in most organizations that they are going to have superior skill in software quality assurance. And they probably, going back to your point, would be better off spending that effort on the remediation if something goes wrong and practicing that because that's useful in many, many different scenarios where software testing is really only useful to software companies. Chester, just to finish up our discussion of the how of patching, in a recent chat chat, I rather glibly suggested that if you've got a change control regimen that does allow you to approve and implement things like patches in three days, see if you can't build one which will let you do it in three hours for emergency purposes. And it struck me afterwards, maybe I'm being unrealistic, but do you think that that can be done? Why not? What if your sales CRM database were to break in some situation and salespeople couldn't take a phone call? Do you have a procedure where you can emergency put something in place to get those people back onto the CRM? I mean, these, these types of quick reaction policies and processes are important uh, in a lot of areas of business. And just like we talked about earlier, I mean, why not learn to do something that can benefit you in multiple ways, uh, both from a security standpoint and for other uses as well? So we talked about the what of patching and we concentrated on the security fixes. The why we thought was rather obvious. It's because the crooks are getting commercial access to some of these exploits before the fixes are even available. And for the how, you offer the three Ps, which are prepare, prioritize, and above all, proceed, don't dither. Chester, if you had to summarize all of this into one sentence of how to do better and how to deal with regularity and frequency, what would you say? The criminals have certainly mechanized their ability to almost immediately exploit flaws as soon as they're discovered in software or even when they're fixed and patched. And our organizations need to be able to mechanize our response and, and be able to match them toe-to-toe. -to -toe. To go back to those four words I said earlier, fortune favors the brave? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and the risk of acting quickly is far outweighed by the risk of waiting. I think that's a great place to stop, Chester. Let me just remind everybody, prepare, prioritize, and above all, proceed with your patches. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay secure. Visit sophos.com slash podcasts or find us on iTunes.